Hey, this is Nathan Dawkin from Fantrax HQ, as well as the Nasty Cast and Fantrax Dynasty Baseball Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 144, Smokey and the Bandit Movie Review. Chris McBride, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. If you want to join our community around here, you can do so on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. That's for Derek and at C McBride for me. PopGoesYourWorld.com is our website, and you can join us on our Facebook page. Just search Pop Goes Your World, and we post all kinds of Gen X jokes and stuff on there. It's a lot of fun. Derek, how's everything going with you, my friend? It's going well, Chris. Uh, we are in the middle of summer. Mm-hmm. The temperatures are crazy right now here in the greater Toronto area. I'm very fortunate that I have a swimming pool, so that helps me beat the heat. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm halfway through my, my vacation. I got another week to go after this. So it's uh, all is good. All is good. Considering what's going on in the world around us, this, is, uh, this has been a pretty good week. Yeah, me too. I'm on vacation as well, as you know. Uh, I'll be away next week. And uh, yeah, I'm just enjoying it as well. There's not much we can really do in this day and age. We can't like, we can go anywhere, but I'm uh, just enjoying the time. Uh, Derek and I actually have a quick favor to ask. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast, Maybe if it helps you in any small way, just to reminisce about pop culture and even get through these tough times, like we mentioned, just please consider taking a minute and going to podcastawards.com and you can nominate the show in the entertainment category. Nominations are open for the whole month of July. It only takes a few seconds of your day. It'd be a big boost for us as we're trying to build our community around here. And it really is the community that makes this podcast so special and a lot of fun to do for us. Um, We obviously love doing the show. There's no cost to listen. So just please consider taking time and nominating the show for the podcast award. Again, it's podcastawards.com. Literally a few seconds out of your day. We don't run a Patreon for the show. We don't look for any payment. We don't run ads, uh, but we do need your help to get the show out to as many people as possible so that they can join in on the fun around here. Right. Uh, so yeah, we would really appreciate that. Wouldn't we Derek? Absolutely. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Now, before we get started, you know, uh, we've got a great movie to get to. I can't wait to dive into it, but I am the embarrassing old man with my dad jokes. So here's your dad joke of the week. Okay, here it is. Derek, did you hear about the trucker that got caught speeding with a load of donkeys? No, I did not. He was hauling Of course he was. Let me tell you about this Dukes of Hazard remake I've been imagining. What are you doing? Some of this stuff was just too wacky for me. I am the crotchety old guy who just hates everything new. They're always having parties. And then I also watch Three's Company. This is my lot in life. Nostalgia is a powerful drug. It's him and so-and-so in a romantic relationship, and they open an ice cream store. It's a dinklage. He was always making moonshine. He went on to do gay porn. Oh, my, my, my. What the hell? Uh, okay, so uh, this week it was over to me. I got to pick the movie. I went back to 1977 and went with Smokey and the Bandit. It's a it's a you know personal film because we both own T-shirts of Smokey and the Bandit, as we've mentioned here on the podcast before. Um, I guess before we get into a deep dive on this movie, Derek, uh, my nomination. You had a chance to watch it. Uh, just your initial thoughts on seeing this movie. I think you said you've seen it in the last five years, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think I think the last time. So I have seen it. Maybe two or three times in its entirety. Uh, I've definitely seen bits and pieces of it over the years. Sometimes it's been on television or um, um, something like that. But yeah, I think the last time I saw it in its entirety was probably around five years ago. But I honestly didn't have a strong memory of the movie. I remember the the broad strokes of it, but um, – yeah, it, I don't want to say it felt new, but there was certainly a lot in it this time that I was like, oh, oh, that's what that's all about. Kind of aha moments. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, I was I was uh, certainly interested in going back to watch it again. And as you said, you you uh, during our hundredth episode, you uh, had gifted me with a smoking mm-hmm. the beta T-shirt. So yes. I felt the very least I could do was wear that T-shirt while I watched the movie. <laughs> very good. <laughs> which uh, my wife found 
hilarious and had to give me a little bit of a ribbing. She's like, she said something to the effect of that's the same as wearing the t-shirt of a band. When you go to see that concert, like you should do that. And I was like, okay. So she, she had a few jokes for me about wearing the t-shirt. And then when I said, Oh, we're going to go record the episode tonight. She's like, where's your t-shirt in the laundry. I wore it the other day. And she's like, you're not even going to wear it for the podcast. Oh, so first I got crap for wearing it and now I'm getting crap for not, <laughs> not wearing, wearing it. it. Yeah. yeah. I have a t-shirt story too. I'm going to drop. Okay. Uh, I'll mention it in a little bit. Uh, what were your thoughts on going back and watching this movie? Okay. So uh, I, I enjoyed the movie. I mm-hmm. liked it. I, I, I seem to remember that I liked it the last time. So I went in with pretty reasonable expectations, understanding when it was made. That's an important uh, thing to keep in mind. Yes. Yep. And understanding that it, you know, it's think back to when we did Mad Max. And I said, it's basically a two hour car chase through the desert with this one. It was sort of the same thing. I knew it was, you know, 90 minutes of of basically a car chase across state lines from Texas to Georgia. So, uh, you know, it, it's not going to win the best screenplay for Oscar or any any sort of awards like that. But it is what it is. It has a strong entertainment value. Some things held up very well. Some things did not hold up nearly as well, mm-hmm. but it, it, it was certainly a fun ride, uh, pun intended, to to get there, to to be able to sit down and watch this movie and enjoy it. It's it's not something I would have actively sought out, but uh, I was I was very happy to uh, have a chance to review it again. Uh, there, there's a lot to like about it, and I'm sure we'll talk about it as we dive into the movie. There were certainly a few problem areas largely just because it is an older movie and things uh, are of their time, as we often speak about with these older movies that mm-hmm. were quite quite rightly problematic uh, that probably should have been problematic in the 70s, but clearly weren't because it was a different time that when you look at it through today's lens, a few things were like, oh, boy, you you definitely could not do anything like that today. Yes, indeed. I agree. Uh, but before we really get into it, yes. I have a question for you sure. about this movie that I'm hoping you can answer. All right, I'll do my uh, best. Or at least I want to just talk about it for a minute. Yeah. Now, keep, so, in, keep in mind, like unlike yourself, I hadn't seen this movie in, you know, at least two decades. Okay. So, so it's been at least 20 years since I've seen this movie. It's, it's about the finer points of the plot, specifically mm-hmm. that uh, – and again, th- this review, like every review, will be full of spoilers. So if you haven't seen Smoking the Bandit – what are you doing? Go watch Smoking the Bandit. No. But, you know, I don't think that this is really going to ruin it if you haven't seen it. So the premise of the movie is that they are in Atlanta mm-hmm. and they're asked to go to Texas, Texarkana, the city right on the state lines between Texas and Arkansas, pick up a, um, 400, a truckload, yeah, 400 cases, truckload of beer, Coors, yep. uh, Coors beer, which you were not allowed to bring east of Texas uh, at that time. And so, yeah, you're getting 400 cases of beer, bring it back. And if they could do it and not get caught and not get stopped and bring it all the way back to this. In a certain amount of time. Yeah. Within, I think it was 28 hours or something. uh, There was $80,000 that that was going to be, it was like a bet. Mm -hmm. That's what they kept saying. It's a bet. You'll get $80,000. So I like a good wager as much as the next guy. In fact, I like a good wager probably better than the next guy. I'm a big gambler. You are. And... This bet made no sense to me, partly because you're calling it a bet. Both sides need to have something they can win and something they can lose. I really didn't understand what the bandit had to lose in this uh, other than, you know, not getting paid. Well, if he doesn't do it, he's not going to get paid anyway. So that was my first thing was, what does the bandit have to lose? And maybe go to jail. Well, but he seemed to be a pretty wild and crazy kind of guy in Mm. like, you know, again, if he didn't take on this job that wasn't really a risk anyway so that to me that that was the first thing is it didn't seem like a bet as much as it seemed just like a challenge so calling it a bet really bothered me the fact that he didn't really seem to have any any real stake or any real potential downside to not completing this other than reputation and potentially getting fined or go to jail for all the traffic shenanigans Uh, well and the bootlegging the second thing was the math on this so the guy's Honestly, I can't remember the names. The two cowboy guys. Big and Little Enos. Enos. Yes. So they were offering them $80,000. So, okay, let me me put myself in their shoes for a second. I want this truckload of beer, and I'm going to potentially pay someone $80,000 to do it. Well, I got to think that in order to cover that bet, 
the beer needs to sell for more than 80,000 for me to at the very minimum break even. But I'm sure I assume they're doing this in part to make money as well. The numbers didn't seem to make sense to me. They were picking up 400 cases of beer. I assume a case in this context is what, 24? Yeah. And so this to me, the the numbers didn't seem to make sense. It sounded, again, some quick math. It looked like it needed to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $200 a case, which would be over $16 per bottle. Uh, and this is in 1977. Mm-hmm. So at one point in the movie, he stops to get lunch and a cheeseburger and a, and a soda yes one dollar and fifty cents i remember okay. that yeah that's if terrible. that is our measuring stick because again i don't know what stuff cost in 1977 i i was three years old i didn't mm-hmm. know so if a burger and a pop costs a dollar fifty what does a beer cost let's let's assume two or three dollars a bottle like okay this no, so there's a no. danger factor and your transport yeah. so even if you double it to say five or six dollars a beer there's ten bucks a case you know a ridiculous amount of money on this i just that it's such a little sticking point for me in the back of my mind the whole time i'm watching this movie i'm trying to run the math in my head and i'm just like this doesn't make any sense to me i couldn't wrap my head around why they would do it for these numbers and again maybe i'm overthinking what should be a very simple plot point but it's these little details now i feel like you it's like Chris, explain this to me. I don't understand. So that's what I'm going to finish. I'm going to. That's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, if you have any insights on this, please share it, and then we can start our deep dive of this movie. No, I think it's more that the these guys, the Burdettes, the littleness and bigness. I think it's more that they just they have lots of money. And they just want to see if anyone could do this. And they kind of, they kind of enjoy that. And they've had other people do it and they fail and they fail and they fail. And I think that they really enjoy, they know that this cannot be done. You know, because even in the, in the song, you know, we're going to do what they say can't be done. Right. And so they know people can't do it. So they just love the fact of tempting all these people, knowing that they're never going to have to pay the money. They just like to see all these people going down and they just they kind of get off on that. Like, that's just kind of like their thing. So I think that's that's really what the point. So the fact that they put up 80 grand, they think we're never going to have to pay it anyway. We're just going to see all these suckers just keep taking this this challenge and just keep failing. And so I think it was just more of a thing for them. It was just, they like doing that for whatever reason. That's how they get their enjoyment. They got lots of money. So they like seeing people try something that they can't do. And it gives them a sense of power. I guess. I mean, I thought that as well, but I don't know. It just seemed a little bit silly to me, especially since they couldn't really like in today's day and age, you can, if this was, and we can talk about this later, whether or not you could do this in today's world, in today's world, like all the vehicles would have GPS, they'd be following them on their phones and mm-hmm. there'd be video. Like, you know what I mean? They could, they could be more involved in the observing the, the, the day by day, the hour by hour progress. So that to me at least adds a slight excitement factor. But the fact that with this was just like, we're going to give you 28 hours, go. And then you either show up or don't within the deadline. Like that just seems so silly to me, but mm-hmm. okay. That's, that's all I'm going to say about that. Yep. So uh, this movie, uh, like I say, came out in 77. It was the first collaboration between uh, director Hal Needham and Burt Reynolds. It was so popular that they went on to, to work on six films in total. After wow. they did this, they didn't get Hooper in 78, Smoking in the Bandit 2 in 1980, then a personal favorite, The Cannonball Run from 1981, Stroke Race, another one that I liked from 83, they did the Cannibal Run 2 in 84 as well. So they did six movies together. Um, Burt Reynolds, though, wasn't in Hal Needham's futuristic masterpiece Megaforce, though, because that was Barry Boswick. With Chuck Norris? No, Barry Boswick and Michael Beck did all the heavy lifting in that one. Uh, but this movie had a budget of $4.3 million, and it made $126 million at the domestic U.S. box office, which was huge for 1977. It only ranked it fourth that year. Because that that year, 77, had some massive box office hits. Ahead of it was Saturday Night Fever at 139 million, Close Encounters of the Third Kind with 169 million, and then blowing them all out of the water was this little film by George Lucas that year called Star Wars that took home $460 million. But Smoking the Bandit was still, it was a huge hit, nonetheless. The other thing that you, you got to kind of go back in time and realize that from 77 to 84, the highest grossing movie star in the world was Burt Reynolds. And then he even, he went on to produce a a game show called Win, Lose, or Draw. Do you remember that one? Right. 
Yes, yes, I remember hearing about this. Yeah, yeah, it was based on a game that he used to play at his house with Dom DeLuise and Vicky Lawrence. And Burt Reynolds at the time was a massively big celebrity and really, really rich. And one thing that I think gets lost a little bit when you think of Burt Reynolds is just actually how good of an actor that he was. I mean, we think of him as the you know the guy from these Hal Needham movies. But mm-hmm. the guy was actually a really, really good actor. If you think back to some of his work, like in The Longest Yard and The End, I thought was really good. Deliverance. And even back to his TV days when he was in Gunsmoke. Um, there's also this little movie he was in. It was in 1989 called Breaking In. Nobody saw it. I'm sure you ever even heard of it. I've actually, I have heard of it, but I don't believe, I, I don't think I've seen it. So he, um, he plays this aging thief. And he basically is showing the ropes to this young guy played by Casey Zemesco, who was in, uh, like, he was in Three O'Clock High and uh, the Young Guns movies. But Burt Reynolds was so good at that movie. I mean, the guy can flat out act. And I think it really took until Boogie Nights before people started to kind of remember that about him. You know, that's when he got his only Academy Award nomination for acting in that movie. So the thing, my point is, like, he wasn't just this schlocky actor in dumb movies. There was there was a lot more to his career. But Smoking the Bandit, probably his most famous role. But the other thing, too, that I want to touch on before we get into the movie is some of the other actors that are in this movie that kind of stand out to me. So Sally Field, she was also a really, really good actress in stuff like Norma Ray that came out in 80, and she won the Academy Award for that. She won an Academy Award 85 for Places in the Heart, and she was even nominated again in 2013 for Lincoln. So Sally Field is a very accomplished actress, and Jackie Gleason is basically a Hollywood legend. I mean, he was he was a TV pioneer with the Honeymooners. And I think with a movie like this, it's easy to forget just how good some of these lead actors actually were. Yeah. You know, like some of them were just so good. But anyway, so the movie opens up with um, a couple of cops. They're checking a rig for its cargo and they find the cases of Coors beer. And the, the one cop says, you know, it's illegal to transport alcoholic beverages across state lines without a permit. This here's Georgia, son. And I'm thinking this is where I'm confused with the plot with the plot is this is bootlegging in 1977. Like, you think of maybe this back in Prohibition or something. You can't drive beer across a state line. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. United States is like a free country, isn't it? I mean, what's going on? It's 77. It's not 1877. What's going on there? Yeah, my my wife and I talked about this at the same time. And and it was uh, sort of that combination of this seems silly. They can't do it. And this seems really silly on how would you even enforce this mm-hmm. um, as the as a law enforcement officer? It just seemed like it would have been um, it would have been a tremendous burden to have to pull over every single rig and ask them to look at their manifest and open up. And yeah, it just it really didn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. So uh, Big and Little Enos, Paul Williams and Pat McCormick. Touch base on them for a second. So Paul Williams, he was mostly known as a singer and a songwriter. He's the guy that wrote all the songs for Ishtar, personal favorite of mine, as you know. So um, is that the big guy or the little guy? The little guy. The little guy. He was a little short guy. And he he did some acting. He, I remember he was in a lot of game shows back then at the time, and he did TV guest spots on, you know, stuff like The Love Boat and Fantasy Island. And then he, I remember he was in this movie called Phantom of the Paradise, where he played this rock star god named Swan. Anyway, but Pat McCormick was the big guy. He was mostly known as a writer on the Night Show with Johnny Carson, but I, I thought they were both really well cast for, for whatever reason. It just, it worked for me. Um, but anyway, so the movie then is at this trucking event thing. It's like a rodeo, like a, you know, like a car rodeo thing. And <clears throat> this girl goes to give the guy the trophy and he grabs her and pulls her off the stage and starts oh. kissing her. Yeah, we saw that. And the crowd cheers. I was like, my God, talk about, you mentioned like different times and, you know, just a different set of sort of collective morals of the day is looked at from the lens of today. That just, it kind of shocked me a bit. I was like, wowzers, couldn't do that today. You know, definitely a 77 thing, eh? Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So it's obviously pretty much clear from the get-go that this movie is pretty much geared toward the Southern NASCAR demographic. You know, uh, but the thing is, it 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 broke ground too, and it really struck a chord with mainstream audiences as well. It became a huge hit, right? Right. And then I like the first time that you see Burt Reynolds. He's sitting in a hammock, and he's got his cowboy hat covering his face, and then he tips the hat back, and he gives that trademark laugh. Yeah, like that was a that was a really big thing for him back then. He did that in almost every movie he was in. I was gonna say, I seem to remember. 
it, it did he have like a production company where there were like shows and at the end of the credits they had that laugh or was am I mixing that up with a different laugh? No, no, that was his for sure. And I think a lot of that was in uh, a lot of the movies that he did, especially in Cannibal Run, they would run like um like, like outtakes, outtakes during yeah. during the the end credits, and the yeah. very last thing was always him doing the laugh. It was a real trademark thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and the other oh, another thing I noticed too, I made a note of this when Reynolds goes over to Jerry Reed's house at the beginning because he wants to recruit him, right? Yes. And Jerry Reed's wife follows him into the kitchen. Great example of ADR additional dialogue recording Remember yes, we talked about yes. in the pet peeves episode her lips don't sync up with her lines of dialogue and so like, i'm so glad that we did that show so recently because <laughs> it just vindicates all this stuff as i see it happen i'm like hey, hey there's there's a she did loops for that anyway uh so jerry reed is another guy i want to just mention briefly um pretty much known as a country singer i mean he did guitar man and then he did eastbound and down in this movie obviously yep. uh, but he did some movies he was in um gator with reynolds as well and i remember he was in movies like hot stuff and highball and and he did a bunch of guest spots on tv i remember him in the tv show alice with linda lavin being in there yeah yeah we talked about that show before yeah but anyway so we get to the plot of the movie that we kind of talked about they take the bet from big and little enos to drive to texas pick up the case the cases of beer and come back and I, I like the way that they set it up because they've got, they got, you know, Cletus says, well, why are we doing this? And Reynolds says, for the money, for the glory, for the fame, but mostly for the money. But mostly for the money. Yeah. <laughs> it's 80 grand, especially in 1977, right? The other thing, one thing that kind of jumped out to me is I wasn't really sure of the backstory between them. And I know I kind of dig into this stuff a lot in movies. Um, I mean, they were really good friends in real life, obviously. But the, in the film here, they don't really touch on any backstory that they have. It seems obviously that they've done a lot of stuff like this together before, but they don't really touch base on it, eh? Well, so uh, this sort of brings me to a point that uh, that I picked up for the first time. Again, mm-hmm. not that I've seen this movie a lot, but I, I thought I had a pretty good handle on it. One of the uh, one of the details that I, I I picked up on, or at least I, I believe I picked up on, was it sounded to me like the bandit sort of cut his chops as a truck driver. That seemed to yes. me, based on the dialogue, was that. He, he that's sort of how he's made his living because you always think of him in this movie as, oh, he's the guy in the car. He's the fast driving rah, rah, rah. But it's like it's seen because you see him actually driving up to to Snowman's house in the big rig. He drives it. Yep. Yeah. And they they somewhere in the early dialogue of the movie, someone talks about that his his background as a trucker, as a driver and, and not just like the guy in the car. But it sounded to me from from the context that it sounded like he was a like a rig, big rig driver. And and for some reason, that detail had never occurred to me in the previous times I, I had seen this, that that was mm-hmm. his background. But that makes perfect sense because they're all on the CBs and everybody's heard of them and he yep. knows everybody. And it's like, well, how would you know all these people? How would you have this network, this camaraderie? It's like, well, if you've been a trucker for a decade in the South, of course you're going to know these people. And of course people are going to have this reputation. Um and, and, you know, so many people are like, oh, hey, is that Bandit? Well, come on in and I'll see you here and I'll see you there. And he knows the truck stops and he knows the locations and he knows who can help him. And that just it all sort of clicked when I realized that. I'm like, oh, that makes so much more sense to me. So my my understanding or my assumption about their relationship is that those two guys probably own that truck together. That was sort of my thought was they share this truck and they probably share any of the revenues that come from transporting things across, you know, state lines or what have you. I could be totally wrong. I could be totally misreading that. But that was sort of my reading between the lines assumption. Yeah, I think like they just kind of gloss over it in the movie. But I think you're definitely right. You know, with all that I mentioned uh, at the top, I was going to have tell you a T-shirt story. So I've mentioned on the pod before that my family, we we have a trailer that we go to on the weekends in the summer. And just at the beginning of this summer, I was up at the trailer. I was, I was doing some work on the front deck or something like that. I was puttering around and my neighbors beside us always play country music. They got this country music station on. And I'm going to be perfectly honest. Never been a huge country music fan. Okay, but I'm out there. anyway, I'm out there working. I'm you know putting around, and then Eastbound Down comes on, and I, I'm like, oh yes, I'm like, listen, and there's me in my Smokey and the Bandit T-shirt out in the front working, and it's the same one obviously that I got for you, right? And like I said, I don't really like country music, but I do like this song. And I remember back when I was a teenager, one of my best friends, he loved country music. And whenever we'd be out driving around, he always had country music playing. And I always liked both Westbound and Down and Eastbound and Down. So yeah, I was just, was, yeah. was just going to say that I 
So I grew up in a household where my parents only listened to country music. So for me, I, I even though I don't really care so much for country music, like new country music, I have a soft spot for country music from like the 60s, 70s and 80s because that's all mm-hmm. I heard growing up. So I definitely knew this song probably before I knew this movie. And one of the things, again, a little detail I picked up this time around was when they are going at the beginning, when they go from Atlanta to uh, Texarkana, mm-hmm. you're obviously driving west across yep. the U.S. West and at that down point, and down. They haven't done anything wrong, right? They're lit, well, they're probably speeding, but they don't have any cargo because the whole thing is take the empty truck there, fill it up, and bring it back. So that only takes five minutes of the movie. Like, why waste time on the part of the journey right. that has no risk? But it's but westbound yeah, and down. Westbound and down. And I eighteen thought, wheels oh. are rolling. Yep. And the lyrics were different because yes. Uh, again, it's just at the very beginning of the movie, and then everything from that point, the next hour plus is eastbound and down because yep. that's where the action happens that's where the risk is involved exactly. that's when there's real the, you know the movie picks up again i it's just that little detail i didn't know if it was a separate song or just a separate verse in the main song nope. but totally it, was different a, it was a note that i yeah i caught this time through and i sort of smiled nodded my head and went that makes sense good good on them for for recognizing that mm-hmm. and not using eastbound and down when the trucks were driving west. Yeah. No, because like I say, it was westbound and down, 18 wheels are rolling. And then yeah. eastbound and down when they're headed back with the beer, it's eastbound and down, loaded up and trucking. Right. Is the lyric. So, um, oh, I was also going to mention another thing about the Pet Peeves podcast. When we did that show, I also mentioned that one of my pet peeves was the typical Hollywood formula that's used in basically every Hollywood movie ever made does not apply in this film. This is one of the, one of those rare movies where that Hollywood formula does not apply for anyone that, that didn't listen to that episode. Um, I talked about the Hollywood formula of boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. Basically something happens in the first act. Pretty good. Set up the story. Second act, everything goes to crap. And the third act, you come back, right? Yeah. This one doesn't because this plot is basically just a series of things that happen along the trip. There's no yeah, it's second a chase, act. It's a chase movie. Yeah. Like I said at the top. Yeah. Point A to point. Well, I mean, technically it's point B to point A and then from point A to point B. But like I said, that journey heading west, there's no risk. There's no, again, other than I'm sure they were speeding because they're on the clock. Yeah. There was no real risk. There's no, what are you going to get? Speeding ticket? You're not going to go to jail for that. Right. Um, and they only spent five minutes on it. And then the rest of the movie is heading east where you have the real the chase and, and the series of encounters and the, what do you do to avoid the police or to get them off your tail? So yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Everything doesn't go to crap in the second act. There's no third act where the protagonists solve the problem and save the day. It's just a bunch of scenes edited together as a series of masters just to put a movie together. So it's kind of refreshing in that way. You know, I like the, the fact that it breaks that mold, but um, right as they get the beer and they start hauling it back to Georgia, a cop follows a bandit right away and bandit like loses them immediately. So Automatically, it's a setup. You know, this is going to be a cat and mouse chase throughout yes. the movie, right? Yes. And another thing that I thought was interesting, because uh, a couple of things about this movie date it, like you mentioned. One of the things that, that kind of struck me was they show the interior of the bandit's car. It's a 76 Pontiac Trans Am, right? Um, which, by the way, this movie just helped launch sales of the Trans Am through the roof when the movie yeah, came Yeah, I was out. reading that, yeah. Really smart of Pontiac to allow the car to be moved used in this movie. They gave Hal Needham four cars. Actually, he crashed three of them. And one was just a promo model, you know, to kind of promote the movie. And that's the only one that wasn't in the production of the film. So it survived. But anyway, so when they show the interior. Hang on, let me go back to the car for a second. Yep. So I I was reading some of the notes on this after we watched the movie. Oh, cool. One of the details that I read, true or false, is they were saying that um, after the success of this movie, the then president of Pontiac, sorry, it's Pontiac Trans Am, right? That's right. Yeah. The president of Pontiac made a deal with Burt Reynolds because the sales were so good and they made all this money that they literally had no idea they were going to make. He said, I will gift you a new uh, Pontiac every year for the rest of your life as long as I'm in this job. And apparently Burt Reynolds ended up with like this massive collection of cars. <laughs> I guess so. And in like, I think they said it was like 2013 or 2014. Uh, Burt Reynolds ran into some problems with the IRS and taxes and such, and he had to like generate cash and he sold like a huge portion of his collection of cars to, to generate the revenue needed to pay the back taxes. So it sounds like Pontiac made good on that promise, at least for a while. And it was those vintage cars that ended up being sold to, uh, to settle his tax debts. So, uh, again, it's, it's nice when, uh, you know, people in power sort of recognize that, Uh, not that Burt Reynolds probably needed the money or the cars at the time, but it's nice to see that, that camaraderie where they said, hey, we recognize and acknowledge that this is a phenomenon that would probably not have happened without your uh, influence. 
and so they made good on it. So yeah, yeah. I thought that was a nice little, uh, well, nice little cool. touch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like I say, when you first see the inside of the car, um, it just struck me how dated it was. Because they're showing the CB radio and they, said CB. they show it off like it's the latest in technology, you know, yep. and by, by today's standards, it's obviously nothing, you know, but they totally play it up. And there's several times throughout the movie, you see shots of the CB radio and all the receivers and just, it's like the latest technology of the day. It just kind of, I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, yep. But anyway, big point of the movie is he's driving down the highway, the bandit is, and he sees Sally Field in the wedding dress, right? And so she jumps yep. in the car and... Then I, she she leaves her van there, and it's so funny. These right away, there's these teenagers that just start to start like stripping the van for parts. Yeah. Like, just immediately, they're just and like the one wearing a Coors T-shirt, which yeah. I thought was an extra little wink, wink. Yeah, exactly, a little uh, Easter egg in there, right? And and the, another thing too with Sally Field, I think I don't know if they met on set. Or, or if they were already dating, because there was a tendency for a while back then with these kind of Southern kind of movies for the stars to have their girlfriends at the time be in the movies with them because oh, okay. Burt Reynolds was dating Sally Field. And I remember Clint Eastwood did this a lot with Sandra Locke. He would have her in his movies like Every Which Way But Loose and Any Which Way You Can and The Gauntlet and Bronco Billy. Like they would star. In them. Anyway, it's just something that I just noticed. But um, the person I want to talk about, though is who comes in next is Jackie Gleason. Yes. He is absolutely perfect for this role. He was born to play this part. And then obviously his son is the guy that Sally Field leaves at the altar. So the two of them are, they're chasing him down. Right. And I love the fact that they come across the teenagers ransacking the van and, and, and justice Buford T justice lights a cigarette again with the smoking in these older movies too. Right? Yeah. Lots of smoking, but he, he lights them and it just starts roughing up the teenagers. <laughs> and then the, he gets the news out of them that, uh, that they got The girl got into a car with bandit. Right. So the chase begins, but Jackie Gleason's lines in this movie, my goodness, like he right at the beginning. Cause he says, she insulted my son. She insulted my town. She insulted my authority. That's nothing but pure and simple communism. <laughs> Just like, <Yeah>. what? <laughs> and, then, and then he goes, and I went and decorated a whole town at the cost of $40. And I'm like, what? 40 bucks is all you this. And then I thought it was so funny. Would, oh, man, the, some of the things that he says are just so bad by today's standards. Oh, yeah. Because he's, he's talking about what happened at the wedding. He's like, she was running back up that aisle, knockers bouncing all over the joint. Her was wiggling too. And I'm like, my God, <laughs> like it was just like shocking to hear yeah. the things that this character was saying. And I think at the time, you know, audiences have just been laughing. Oh, of course. Absolutely played for laughs. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the idea was that this was, this character embodied the stereotype and was over the top, to the point where it was it was humorous but by today's lens a lot of what this character does and says are clearly you know it's full of bigotry it's full of racism it's full yep. of sexism it's it's you know the the down uh you know down south good old boy white guy in power everything's got to go his way and if it doesn't he's the sheriff he's the power he can do whatever he wants uh, and obviously in in the context of this comedy movie uh you know it's so much of it is played for laughs and and a lot of it is still funny by today's standards even though some of it's clearly not pc but if they were to remake this and again i want to talk about that later this is a character that you would have to tweak a fair amount to make him even marginally well i don't want to say likable because i don't think he has to be likable but to have any sort of sympathy or or to to make it work like Part of the reason certain things, certain scenes were funny is you, you see the bad thing happen to the bad guy in a way that's humorous and embarrassing to him and you laugh at it. But I think if you were to, to sort of redo this today and this character had a lot of these same traits, you wouldn't so much laugh at it as sort of nod your head and go, good, I'm glad that happened to that guy, F him. And uh, so I think there's certainly some uh, some of the things that at the time were seen as ha ha hilarious. Uh, definitely not so much today. He has some of the most inappropriate lines I think I've ever heard in any movie. Oh, uh, yeah. And it, it, there's so yeah. many of them. And, and the thing is, this whole movie is basically sort of driven by Jackie Gleason's lines, especially the way he delivers them 
too. My oh, God, yeah. some of it is. Some of it is so bad. Some of it's funny. Uh, some of it's just awful. It reminds me a bit of All in the Family in the sense that you've got I was just about to say yeah, that, yeah, he, that racist, like, mis- misogynistic character, right? Yeah, but at least with, with All in the Family, Archie Bunker had a certain lovable quality that deep down you knew that a lot of his bigotry and hatred came from a place of fear. And I think that they played that like it wasn't that he literally wanted to kill his neighbor as much as I think he feared change and, and what having a, uh, you know, having the Jeffersons live next door and, and having his daughter date this hippie. Like I think for all in the family, it was, it was, you know, you, you, you learned that Archie, just dislike the idea of change. He wanted things to stay the way they were when he was younger. And I think over the course of the years of that show, you got to see more of what he's really like inside. That's not to excuse a lot of his deplorable behavior and the things he said, but they tried to portray it in a way where you could at least start to understand why he did what he did with this character in a two hour movie or not even two hour, like 90 minute movie. You don't have that kind of time. Mm-hmm. You do it over the top. You play it for laughs. He says bad things to people and, and then bad things happen to him and, and it is what it is. Well, with, with Archie Bunker's character and all in the family too, you know, being that, that bigot, the key for that show to really work was the fact that the bigot wasn't in on the joke. You laughed at him for being a bigot. Yes. And, and that's where Meathead was kind of, you know, like his foil, right? But in this one, in this movie, I think Hal Needham is walking a very, very thin line in this movie. Because in some ways, it almost feel like feels like he's pandering a bit. The director is pandering to the racist, the sort of the racist and misogynistic tendencies maybe of some of the audience. Sure. And even though, I mean, the bandit has allies throughout the film that are, you mentioned, you know, they're black, they're Asian, they're women. <clears throat> so it's, it's a little tough to distinguish what the message is here. I, I don't know. I don't know if it, it feels like some of this stuff is in there as a little bit of a wink to the audience, almost to legitimize some of these things in a way. Like, again, I just, I feel like Hal Needham is just really walking a thin line here. I mean, at one, at one point, Sally Field leans into the back seat and you see her butt. And yeah, it's just my wife so said that. She goes, nice butt shot. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then, uh, and I, I remember a trucker warns him there's going to be a roadblock up ahead, and it's set up by these Arkansas cops. So um, the chase starts. They go over the bridge and they jump over the bridge. And Sally yes. Field is like, "Oh, oh I love God. that. I want to jump something else." And Reynolds yeah. goes, "Well, jump me." Like, I'm like, geez, like some of the dialogue in it was was something else. But uh, and then right after, in that same scene, when the when the officers try to stop and not crash into the uh the the like go over the top of the bridge which of course they do and then when sheriff justice shows up and he starts like saying where's the local sheriff and the guy you know he's a person of color and he's like it's me and then he says to him oh well when i speak with you on the cb you sounded taller yeah there's <laughs> clearly a reference he wasn't talking about his height he was nope. talking about his skin color but it's yep. like Again, it's played for laughs and it's done in a way that you you sort of chuckle. But at the same time, you're like, OK, this is clearly this is a joke at the expense of racism. So it it's is like, because the next line he turns to his son as he's walking away, he goes, what in the hell is this world coming to? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. To imply so, that a black man shouldn't be a sheriff. Yeah. Right? Like really racist thing to say. But uh, I don't know. As, as I said, I don't know if it's just the character. Is the movie in on the joke? It's it's really tough to say. It's 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 interesting. Um, and, well, and, and I it, wonder, again, not that I know much about Jackie Gleason, but again, he's an older man. For, well, I mean, he's, he's passed on now. But at the time, he was an older actor from a, a different time. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering how much of this character might have played a little bit to sort of his reputation. I don't know. Like, was he a racist? Like, what was his? I don't know. Do you know? Like, I don't know. I like, well, except that he was, I think that you could say that he always sort of played that misogynistic type of thing. Because yeah. If you think I, back on the, the honeymooners, it was always bang, zoom to the moon, Alice, you know, to imply yeah, that he was going to punch gonna beat her. up my wife. Yeah. yeah like, like, so, uh, so I think there was more of that. I don't know. I wonder, <clears throat> yeah. I wonder if, if again, you, you, I don't know. It's just it was a different time. Yeah. And, and you got to wonder if some of that played into the fact that, oh, well, you're going to play this racist cop. Was it like in his his mind? He's like, oh, well, I've played these kinds of roles before. I know what to do to make it work. And is it like because you're a gifted actor or is it because like 
some of this speaks to the way you were. I don't know. Again, I don't I don't know. And I, I'd hate to imply it if that's not accurate. Mm-hmm. But. I think to go back just a second to when I was saying about Hal Needham, <clears throat> there is you bring up that scene with that local sheriff. There was another <clears throat> part of that scene that I think um, needs to be addressed is the fact when Gleason first uh, starts talking to him on the CB before he meets him, the black sheriff and the sheriff yeah. tells him he, he says, you're out of your jurisdiction. Yes. And, 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 and the fact that you're a sheriff is not germane to this situation. Right. And Gleason goes, what's the goddamn Germans got to do with anything? And so yeah. it does kind of play up the fact that he's dumb. And, and yeah. so, you know, to kind of make him kind of the 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 joke, you know. Right. Right. Um, I mean, it doesn't excuse his behavior, but I think it makes a clear point to the audience that this guy is out of touch. And then later when they go into the diner, like the scene you were talking about when he orders the two cheeseburgers and the iced tea and it's a buck yeah. 50 yeah. Um, because Buford T. Justice walks in. And he doesn't right. realize it's the bandit because he's never actually seen what he looks like. And they strike, right. strike up a conversation and justice goes to the bathroom and he comes out with a toilet paper stuck to his sunglasses and it's unraveling through the whole place and outside into the parking lot. So again, I, 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 I laughed. At yeah. That. They're obviously portraying him as the fool. And right. And, for sure. And then like his, you know, the, the, those racist and misogynistic comics, you know, make him look like the fool. So I think maybe the more I think about it, you know, the more I think it's, 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 it's that way. Um, but yeah, just <laughs> the sun is so stupid. They drive the rig underneath the, the, the big rig or they drive the car underneath the big rig there and the roof shears off. Yeah. Daddy, the whole roof came off. And he's like, no, <laughs> like it's just, yeah. just the things he's, they're just idiots. Right. And then I love after that, the son has to hold, hold the dad's hat. He holds his hat because there's, there's no roof. Laugh. Yeah. That and was then, pretty- and so I, when I realized he was doing that, I laughed. And then later they get out of the car. And he's doing it when they're out of the car. And that made me laugh again. So another, I thought that was that was a good visual gag. Another thing from my pet peeves episode that came up in this one, too. There's oh, a, yeah. the scene where, where Sally Field is driving away from the truck stop and the bandit jumps in and then they have to switch places while they're driving. And she like gets up and obviously they weren't looking at the road for the whole. Yeah, thing. they were being. Yeah. Dumb. You know, <laughs> when he first picks her up, there's a lot of that, too, where he's driving, but he's checking her out, especially yeah. when she's changing her clothing. Yeah. He spends a lot of time not looking at the road after they've already established that they're going about 110 miles an hour. And I thought, OK, they're clearly, you know, like we I knew we had talked about this in the pet peeve episode. Right. And it's it to me, we both had that as a pet peeve. So it bugged me a bit. But given the type of movie this was. I, I knew that was going to be the reality of the way the movie came together. So I, I wasn't, I wasn't as critical of it this time around. And going back to the Eastbound and Down song, when, like I say, my buddy, when I was a teenager, used to play it all the time. I remember at the beginning of the song, like the recorded version of the song, there's some dialogue from the film at the beginning. Oh. And, I, and I recognize it in the movie right away. Things like pedal to the metal and Kodiak, uh, Kojak with a Kodiak with a Kojak or whatever they say. And yeah. so I recognize different parts of that as it was on. But um, then, you know, just going back to what we were talking about before, some of the kind of sexist comments, Snowman and the Bandit, they finally meet up on the road. Like, because remember, yeah. they, they they keep getting sidetracked. So they're supposed to be together. And Jerry Reed meets Sally Field for the first time. You remember what his line was? Doesn't he say nice Yes. And then she's like, thank you. Or something like yeah, that. Yeah. I think she, like, yeah, she looks at him, and, but she can hear him and yeah. she acknowledges that she can hear it. And it was interesting. Sally Field and the, and the bandit have a, a, a couple of lines there. Cause she's like, what do you really do? And he goes, I just go from place to place and do what I do best. Well, what's that show off. And I realized Burt Reynolds is basically playing himself in this movie. Yeah, of course uh, he is. And I mentioned earlier, he's a really strong actor, but I think the thing is in these Hal Needham movies, he just basically, plays himself and that's probably why people also overlook his acting chops because this is where people remember him for the most and it's where he acts the least you know in all of his work right um and there was there was uh one of the early scenes when he first i think it was the very first time he's trying to draw the police away from the truck right after they leave he's going through like a little small town to try and stop the cops and then he like pulls up on the lawn and goes around the backside of a building and then when the cops go by and he starts to pull away. He looks right at the camera and like gives that sort of trademark smile and yeah. then drives away. And and I, I just I laugh because I know that's one of the things that he does in a lot of his movies as well. The comedies anyway, where he literally breaks that fourth wall and looks at the at the audience and sort of makes a gesture like, hey, how cool is this? <laughs> and then when they run in another thing, I noticed they run into another roadblock. There's a couple of them in this movie and the cops are basically portrayed as bumbling idiots. 
Yeah, of course. It's it's like the Keystone Cops from the 30s or something like yep. that. So, yep. um, so again, there's we mentioned there's Asian and black characters that help the bandit. And Gleason is just this racist that loses at every turn. So maybe maybe that is the message. You know, the more I think about it, the racist is the loser, which is good to see at any time, especially back in 77. I, I love there was uh, one of the scenes later on when um, after the car, the, the, the Gleason's car has been all beat up mm-hmm. and uh, the local sh- uh, state trooper pulls him over. I think there might have even been a roadblock and he's like starts, you know, do you think you can drive this car? You shouldn't be out with like a piece of crap like this. And he starts mouthing off to him mm-hmm. and then Gleason like sort of instead of trying to be calm about it he just goes over the top and yells at him and he's like how dare you do this and this is who i am and this is who i'm in pursuit of and how dare you use language like that and and then he just puts the young guy right back on his heels and go oh, I'm, I'm sorry sir i didn't realize that's who you were and what you were doing and i hope i can help and i hope you accept my apology and then right when the whole scene's over he's like okay yeah i accept your apology and then he's like now and you can read his lips. He's like basically tells him to F off. Yes, but there's, yes. a har- there's a horn that goes off, a truck <laughs> yes, horn I, over top of the expletive. <laughs> yep. And uh, it's it, again, the scene itself actually worked really well. And then the honk over the over the F word <laughs> made it even funnier. Yeah, and then was- again, when I was reading about it, they said if he dropped even a single F bomb anywhere in the movie, it would have to immediately get an R rating. Right. And by doing that. They were able to keep the PG rating and add an extra joke into right. the movie. So it was like a double win. So I, I thought that was really good. I, again, I laughed a lot at that part. Right right at the end there, he, he Gleason has so many good lines. The one that always got me was when he says, Psalm, bitch. Not son of a bitch, but Psalm, bitch. It's all in the way he delivers his lines. Mm-hmm. But he's got a whole bunch. Of, he's like, I'm going to barbecue your ass in molasses. And then when the things that he says to his son, and especially about the mother, maybe yeah. he's like, there's no way you came from my loins. And then he says to him, when I get home, I'm going to punch your mama right in the mouth. And I'm like, oh, my God. Kids, some of these lines are just. But again, like. But I wonder. Hang on, Chris. Yeah. I wonder if that was supposed to be like a wink, wink reference to his honeymoon character. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, because that's what he did. Just like we said. Right. So. Like, yeah. Yeah. But still doesn't really. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't make it good, no, but uh, not cool. but the one thing I thought was interesting right near the end of the movie, the bandit says something that I think somewhat sadly kind of even resonates today because he, he says, when you tell somebody something, it depends on which point of the United States you're standing in as to just how dumb you sound. Yeah. And that might have been true in 77, but unfortunately, it's just as true today. You know, yeah. there's such a divide in the country. You know, we see it with racism. We've seen it with wearing masks during a pandemic. We see it in regard to truth and justice and just about everything. 40 years later, nothing's really changed for some people. And in a lot of ways, that's incredibly sad. Um, yeah. I thought it was a great line in the film. It really stood out to me. Whereas I think before when I saw this movie, you know, 30 years ago, whatever it was, it was probably just a throwaway line. But for me, it, it, it really resonated. I thought it was an interesting line. So, yeah. Um, one more thing about the questionable material and questionable lines. Sally Field says to the bandit, she says, hey, I just noticed truckers going by can look right down into the car. And he says to her, that's what I used to love about being a trucker. You could look right down and spot those. Like, oh, is that what he said? Yeah. I missed the line. I heard. I remember the dialogue, but I couldn't hear what he said. Yeah. And again, like, oh that, that enforces the, the presumption I made at the beginning. Where right. He talks where it's like, I think he, he, he was originally a trucker. So. Yeah. Oh, and I also noticed that the bandit has a Confederate flag on his license plate, too. Yeah, we did notice that. Interesting. Too. Yeah. yeah, interesting in this day and age. Uh, so anyway, so they, they get to the end, they make it on time. And then what happens, of course, Big and Little Enos go double or nothing to bring back some clam chowder, clam chowder. to keep the bet so, going, right? Have you seen Cannibal Run 2? Is it, uh, does it pick up? Is it the race to get the clam chowder so, or is it totally so, different? Good question. A um, couple things. Yes, I have seen uh, Cannibal Run 2. I saw it in the movie theater. I also went to see or, Can- sorry, not Cannibal or Run Cannibal Run 2. I'm sorry. Smoking um, the Bandit 2. Yeah, sorry. Getting our, getting our Hal Nita movies uh, mixed yep. up. I saw um, Smoking the Bandit 2 in the movie theater when it came out. And I also saw Smoking the Bandit 3 when it came out. Um, uh, a little note on Smokey and the Bandit 3 that was originally called uh, Smokey is the Bandit. So the idea of that, the, the third movie was that the Smokey, uh, Jackie Gleason's character, was now the, the Bandit. He was going to be doing illegal things and taking stuff. And it just didn't work 
with audiences, like test audiences. They were like, oh, this is stupid. So they went back and they, they brought Jerry Reed in and made him become the bandit. And then they recut some of the scenes and kind of put it together. The movie was wow. an absolute disaster. It was a mess. Wow. But the second one, to answer your question, so I've seen all, all those two movies in the movie theater. The second one wasn't. It was with Dom DeLuise and they were taking an elephant across the country of all things. Oh, that sounds familiar. Yeah. I think I might have seen parts of it way, way back when, but I, I definitely haven't seen it in 30 years or more if I if I have indeed seen it in its I, entirety. I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. It was definitely a different time, um, but I'm glad we went back and watched it. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Uh, clearly a movie from a different time, but I also think it's worth going back and watching if you haven't seen it in a long time. So let me ask you this, Chris. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. Uh, um, you had mentioned at the top, we were talking about box office success. Yes. So... I was having a discussion about this movie with someone earlier this week, and they made a good point. I was saying, like, hey, did you know The Smokey the Bandit was, like, one of the top grossing movies of 1977? And really, the you know, obviously didn't make the top of the list in large part due to Star Wars because Star Wars was such a huge phenomenon. And then, you know, my buddy turned to me and said, how many people – that summer in 1977, because if I remember correctly, Star Wars came out. They both, both Smokey the Bandit and Star Wars were originally released in May of 77, uh, with Smokey the Bandit first being released in the south, southern U.S. in a more limited release and then eventually being rolled out to the rest of the country. How many people through the course of the summer do you think went to the movies, wanted to see Star Wars, couldn't get in because it was sold out, didn't want to stand in the line and just went, OK, what else is playing? Smokey the Bandit, done. Let's go see that instead. And I wonder how much of their box office success was a direct result of the fact that Star Wars was sold out everywhere. That's a really good point because they were both, like you say, released in May, late May. Yeah. And uh, that could have been very well been the situation. Yeah. yeah that's so a really I, good point. I never thought yeah. about it because I'd heard that stat before where they were like, oh, Burt Reynolds was the top grossing actor for all these years and Smoking the Bandit came out the same year as Star Wars and it made all this money and it, it wasn't number one. I've heard some people say that Smoking the Bandit was number two behind Star Wars. I think it depends on what, whether you're looking at worldwide or domestic or just the summer, depending on how you slice the numbers. In some cases, Smoking the Bandit was number two to Star Wars, a very distant number two to Star Wars. And so, yeah, that that was an interesting point that I, I had never considered until just this week when when it was brought up and to, brought to my attention. So it's, it, it's an interesting question to ask. And interestingly enough, uh, Smoking the Bandit made more on its opening weekend box office than Star Wars did. Yeah. Wow. Because, because, I mean, Burt Reynolds was in it. People knew Star Wars. They didn't know what this was. Right. 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 And so, it, so Smokey the Bandit outgrossed Star Wars for its first weekend, but then people that saw Star Wars went, whoa, and word of mouth just, you know, spread like wildfire, right? Yeah, that was Um, it. But yeah, unreal. Um, That was a good question. So I'd like to say overall, I was really glad that we went back and watched it. Do you want to give it a rating out of 10? Uh, I would say... I would give it maybe a 7. I mean, I liked it. It, There was... There was... There was a lot to like about it just from its broad strokes. And I mean... The, the performance the, the, you had Burt Reynolds and Sally Field they were both great um, obviously there were some problems when you look at it from today's lens there were certainly problems but at its heart I think the movie was pretty decent and it's entertaining so yeah I think seven's seven's probably about right for me um, what about you what do you think between I, one and ten I think I would do the same thing I would give it a seven yeah so let me ask you this so yes. I, I mentioned this a couple of times through mm-hmm. the podcast already is this kind of movie do you think they could remake this? call it smoking the bandit and have a similar type of story to what was portrayed in this movie where if it was set today, do you think it would work? Or do you think given today's modern technology, there's just no way Would the police be too well coordinated through technology and GPS and, and things like that, that they would just be able to stop them. Or do you think that there would be a way that, that this kind of a story could work? Um, well, the thing is, I don't think the police really come into play too much because they weren't really after him. It was really Jackie Gleason that was after him for other reasons than than him hauling the beer. The hauling the beer wasn't the right. issue. It's the fact that he left. Uh, he had Sally Field with him. Right. Yeah. Um, so do I think that they could remake it today? Yeah, they probably would because they remake everything. And you know how much I hate yeah. that. Uh, do yeah, I think yeah. it would work? Absolutely not. No, this movie is rooted in the time that it's set uh, with the CB uh, culture and stuff like that. I just don't think it would work. I think it would be terrible. Yeah. And I think I think a big part of its success is Burt Reynolds. And I think when you remove that part from the equation, any sort of remake, you have very few people working today that have that same 
uh, charisma and star power and likability and and the kind of person that people want to meet just to go and have a beer with kind of person. I, I just think they would have an exceptionally hard time casting this movie correctly to even have a chance at success today. So I agree with you. I don't think they could make it. I, I think if anything, they could say influenced by the events of the Smoking the Bandit movie, but it would be a very different movie. Yeah, and I think he, you know, you make a good point because Burt Reynolds appeals to both men and women. Like, men like him because they think he's cool, you know, like guy you want to hang around with, and women like him because he's good looking. Um, and not a lot of actors are like that. There's some actors that, you know, women like and then guys don't like or something, you know, or vice yeah. versa. Um, and but the, the key thing is not even him, it's the, the other actors, as I mentioned, like with Sally Field and Jackie Gleason and you know, Enos and and, and Jerry Reed's character, you'd have to get so many good actors to play these parts that are just, and not even that they're good actors, they were, but they were just perfect for the, for the part. Like Jackie Gleason was perfect for that part. I couldn't imagine anyone else pulling it off. I just couldn't. I mean, who else is going to play that part from today? What are they going to do? But they put like Jack Black in it or something like that. It would just be terrible. So yeah, I don't know. I don't think they, 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 I think they would remake it, but I think it would be awful. So I, I hope that they never do it. Yeah. Well, the fact that they made three movies out of it before they called it a day, I think mm-hmm. there's, there's obviously uh, a track record to demonstrate what has and hasn't worked when you try and uh, capture lightning in a bottle a second and third time. So yeah. I would hope like, like normally I'm not automatically opposed to a remake of something or a modernized update of a story if it makes sense. Um, But I would think that if you wanted to do something like this today, number one, you'd have to address the gender roles. I think you would have to make the bandit a woman, 100%. Um, And other than that, I think, uh, you know, you would have to add some additional modern factors, modern complications that were not things that could have ever been in the original movie in order to make it work in today. Uh, but no, I, I don't, this is not one that I think you would, there would be a tremendous amount of success for, or really even that much of an appeal. Cause the original is now, you know, from 77, it's what, 40 years old. Yep. I think, I think the, 43, yeah. the nostalgia value of a remake is lost. The audience that was in love with the Smoking the Bandit movie in the 70s is now so much older that they, they're not going to go out and watch a remake of it. You need to, like, remakes in my mind need to be like in that 20 to 25 years at most. I think beyond that, you you lose the benefit of calling it something familiar. Um, yeah. Yeah. No. Anyway, long way to say that yep. I don't think that a remake would work. I hope that they never do remake it. That's all we can hope. All right. On that note, let's have some fun with Caveman. All right. Over to you, my friend. What have you got right. for us? So I know uh, how much uh, you love 80s game shows. I do. So we're having another trip to the $100,000 pyramid. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. All right. So I'm in the win. I'm in the winner's circle. I'm ready to go. Yes. So, well, so I was thinking about this Mm -hmm. when I was getting this ready today and it occurred to me that we haven't been following the rules correctly Mm -hmm. because in the hundred thousand dollar pyramid, you don't just automatically start playing for a hundred thousand. You start playing for a lesser amount in the first half of the show. And then if you get to the top of the pyramid, you play a second round and that's when you go for the big money. And then you actually have to come back and they have a tournament for the hundred thousand. But even during the show, it's like you do the 10,000 and then the 25,000. So to get the big money, you have to prove it that you are good enough to do this twice. So tonight you're going to go to the pyramid twice. Oh, geez. Oh man. All right. So, now, I, I don't want to make this t- too difficult for you. Okay. So I'm going to explain that that I'm setting these two rounds up in very much the same way. Okay. First round, I'm going to give you the cast of movies starring Sally Field. Okay. These are people that were in movies, Sally Field movies, that were her co-stars. All right. And when you name the movie, we'll move on. There's six of them on the list. And then if you're good, you know, once you've got that one done, we'll do a second round, same deal, but with Burt Reynolds. Okay. okay. All right. Yep. First round, Sally Field. Now, to make it even a little bit easier for you, we're going to start with older films. Okay. And as we move down the list and up the pyramid, they're going to get newer and newer and newer and newer. That doesn't, so help just, me. that doesn't help me much, though, because I'm good with the old movies. 
No, I know, but just if you find you're getting stuck, think about what movie did okay. we just say? It'll you know, at least it's going to be a year later than that, or right. in some cases, a few years later than that. Okay. Yep. So, first round of the pyramid here. I just got to make sure I, I I did a few extras just in case. I just got to make sure I deleted mm-hmm. my extras so we're not doing eight or nine. <laughs> <laughs> just do six. Five, six. Okay, just checking. Okay, so we're going to start with Sally Field. Okay. okay. Yep. No trick questions here. Nope. Broad you, strokes. You're listing, you're listing well. cast members, and I got to guess the Sally Field movie yes. that it is. Okay. okay. And we're going to start old, and we're going to move to newer. Go okay? for it. All right. Ready? Go. Bo Bridges. Ron Liebman. Pat Hingle. Barbara Baxley. Bo Bridges. Okay, we're going to pass that one. Okay, pass. Tom Hanks. John Goodman. Oh, was it Punchline? Julia Roberts. Shirley MacLaine. Oh, Steel Magnolias? Kevin Kline. Kathy Moriarty. Elizabeth Shue. Is it Soap Dish? It is Soap Dish. All right. Robin Williams. Harvey Firestein. Pierce Brosnan, Mara Wilson, Robert Prosky. Oh, is this Mrs. Doubtfire? It is Mrs. Yes. Doubtfire. Okay. Robin Wright, Haley Joel Osment. Uh, Forrest Gump? Gary Sinise. Yes, Forrest Gump. Okay, back to back the one I missed. Yep. Old movie, old movie. Okay. Bo Bridges, Ron Liebman, Pat Hingle, What's the Barbara Baxter. What's that? Was it Stay Hungry? No, it wasn't. Big movie from Sally Field. Come on, you got this. Is it Norma, Norma Ray? Norma Ray! Yeah! <laughs> All right, just made it to the top Ooh. of the pyramid. Good job, buddy. Oh, boy. All right. Okay, so we got we got our Sally Field down, Pat. Okay, Chris, gotta... you, won, you won the 10000 fictional dollars here. Okay. So we're going to move for the really big money now. Yep. Okay, Moving we're going to jump right side. into the 100000 So you got to just... Shake that off and forget everything you ever knew about Sally Field okay. and put your Burt Reynolds brain on. Burt Reynolds cap on. Okay. Right? These are all Burt Reynolds movies. I think you're going to do very well on this. They're, they're Maybe a couple of the new ones might trip you up a bit, but I think yeah. the older ones you old got. Old ones I should be able to get, I hope. Yeah, all right. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Just, yep. just take a second. Clear your mind. Okay. Go. Jack Weston. Jerry Reed. Lauren Hutton. Alice Ghostly. Is it the man who nope. loved cat dancing? Nope. Jerry Reed. Oh, Gator? Gator! Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Good job. You mentioned it earlier. Yep. Okay. Dom DeLuise. Charles Durning. The end? Jim Neighbors. Oh, it's Cannonball Run? Dolly Park. Oh, uh, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Jackie Chan. Uh, Roger that, Moore. That was um, Cannonball Peter Run. Peter Fonda. Cannonball Run! You yeah. got it. That was a huge classic. All right. Ned Beatty. Jim Neighbors. Parker Stevens. Oh, uh, Stroke Race. Stroke Race. Good job. Okay. Don Cheadle. Heather Graham. Oh, uh, Louise Boogie Nights. Oh, okay. Last one. Last one. This is a tough one, Chris. Russell Crowe. Hank Azaria. Mary McCormick. Cole Meany. Mike Myers, Phil Esposito. Oh my goodness! Russell Crowe, Hank Azaria. Come on, do you, do you know this? No. Is it the longest? Phil year? Esposito. Phil Esposito. I I I, I don't know. Oh, geez. I, I don't know. I was a, no it was a hockey movie. It was called Mystery Alaska. Mystery Alaska. I didn't even think I've ever heard of it. Came out in 1999. Was Russell Crowe? No, you don't no, know that one. Never even heard of it. I don't think. Oh, oh I figured geez. Phil Esposito was like the no. the wink, wink, wink. Oh, I'm like here, he knows. He's gonna know it's a hockey movie. Phil Esposito, hockey legend. Oh man, go well, figure. Go figure. I knew the Sally Field movies better than I knew the Burt Reynolds movies. Yeah. No, I, I figured this one might be a little bit tough oh, for you, but uh, man. Well, no, you that did amazing. Good. That was good. So, first, first round, you got to the right to the top of the pyramid. Mm-hmm. Second round, you second missed the last out. one. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, no, you did. You did great. Uh, clearly, uh, you know, your Sally Field. Clearly, you know, your mm-hmm. your earlier Burt Reynolds. Later Burt Reynolds not so much. was crazy. I'm looking through the list here and it was Jamie Farr, Burt oh, yeah. Convey, Terry Bradshaw, Adrian Barbeau, Sammy Davis Jr., Dean Martin, Dom DeLuise, Mel Farrah Tillis. Fawcett, Peter Fonda, yeah. Roger Moore, Jackie Chan. I was like, holy crap. Yeah. And this was just the first 12 on the list. I know. Like, this movie is full of stars. Oh, holy yeah. small. It was huge, man. No, it was great. Oh, man. So, uh, yeah, so I did all right, I guess. Uh, so uh, next uh, episode, we're going to take a week off. We're going to have some more holidays uh, coming our way. When we come back, it's going to be your turn to nominate a movie. So what movie would you like me to watch? Well, before we do that, let me ask you. I'm going to put you on the spot. Yep. If we're going to take next week off, mm-hmm. any chance we can throw up a Greatest Hits? Yeah, absolutely. Why don't we do that? All right. We'll, yeah, we'll throw, we... up a, throw up a All Best right. of uh, Pop Goes Your World with uh, Fun with the Ancy, Fun with uh, Caveman, for sure. Yep. Right. That'll, so that'll if, you love, if you love the trivia segments, we got we got one of the classics coming up yep. next week then since we're not going to have a new episode out. So I'll when we come back, one. Yep. we come back in two weeks with a new episode, brand new episode. Yep. We're going to do a movie that I'm choosing. Yes. And what have you got? All right. So I'm going to go a little newer than I sort of I sort of like to keep my cutoff around 1999. Uh, I figure anything before that is sort of more Yancey's wheelhouse. I like to try and pull things like that are much newer. But uh, this is one that's been on my list for a while. It's from 1998. Okay, And it's called Pleasantville. I've heard of it. Is that um, Reese Witherspoon? Yes, it's got um, Reese Witherspoon and Tobey Maguire. It's got William H. Macy, Joan Allen, Jeff Daniels. Uh, it's got a stellar cast. It's uh, so it came out in 1998. It's um, it, it, I actually saw the Canadian premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival in 1998. And nice. it was it's outstanding. It's it, I, I really don't want to get too much into it now because I don't want to give anything away. I don't really want to ruin it. No, don't, I, I, I don't know much about it either. So no, I'll, and I, I'll go I, in fresh. I, yeah. So, I mean, you and I exchanged notes back and forth between shows and I'll give you a list of five or six movies and go, have you seen any of these? So I knew this was one you hadn't seen before. And I think there's a lot to like about this movie. And they've been running it on cable a fair amount over the last month or two. So I've actually watched bits and pieces as I've seen it coming up. And that's part of the reason I I, I thought I want to watch this again, just because it's now top of mind. But also, I think it touches on a lot of themes and ideas that are are just as relevant today as they were in 1998 when the movie came out. And uh, I think that it'll give us uh, a good opportunity to, to talk about the movie and talk about some other things in context of the movie. So go, uh, go back, watch the movie Pleasantville from 1998. Um, and uh, we'll come back in two weeks and we'll review the movie and right. we'll see what you think. No, absolutely. I'm up for that. And uh, like I mentioned at the top, if you do enjoy the podcast, please take a few seconds of your day and go to podcastawards.com and you can nominate us in the entertainment category. We're on the drop down list there. Um, if you would like to reach out to us and be part of the community around here again on Twitter at Emeron underscore DM for Derek at C McBrien for me. And you can check out our Facebook page uh, and some of the crazy stuff that we post on there all the time. So until next time, this is Chris McBrien on behalf of Derek Myers saying thank Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 